So I've talked about Freiburg a couple of times on the podcast already. If you follow me on Twitter, it's a topic that I've spent a lot of time uh, writing about, reminiscing about. For me, Freiburg is really kind of foundational to who I am as an architect. Uh, it's not my origin story. And it's also the location where I met my wife. Funny enough, she's from California. She's not German. And so my time in Freiburg is very central, I think, to who I am as an architect and what my interests are and, and things of that nature. So I'm going to talk about a couple of themes today that make Freiburg, I think, a very unique city, despite not being a large city, and things that make Freiburg probably the most livable city I've ever been in. So let's set the table a little bit. Freiburg is a city of about 220,000 people. It sits at the kind of southwest corner of Germany, right at the border of where Switzerland, France, and Germany all come together. It's a, it's a relatively old city, although parts of the city were bombed during World War II. And it's a relatively compact city. It has a historic core, and that historic core has been converted into a Fußgängerzone, a pedestrian zone. And so I'll break it down into kind of the themes of Freiburg that I think make it one of the most livable places on Earth, compared to a city like Seattle that bills itself as a green city and is anything but... Welcome to the Livable Low Carbon City Podcast, the show about the interconnectedness of low carbon living, decarbonized buildings, and quality of life. I am your host, Michael Eliason, architect and founder of Large Lab. So I think mobility is perhaps one of the most intriguing things about the city of Freiburg. The center of the city, the Altstadt, the historic core, is almost completely a pedestrian zone. This means that cars generally aren't allowed. Cars aren't cutting through the historic core of the city. Residents of the core of the city have access to parking garages, and there are taxis and deliveries that are allowed into the pedestrian zone. It's kind of a paradox. It's quieter than any city I've ever lived in. So when I landed in Freiburg, I stayed with a friend of a friend for about two weeks until I could get set up and find a place to live. And I ended up living on Salzstrasse. It's the, it's the main east-west street running through the Altstadt, through the old part of the city. The building that we lived in was a three-story walk-up. You know, it was a family that had owned the building for a long time. Ground floor was a retail. The family who owned the building lived on the second floor. And it was a through running unit. So they had daylight on multiple sides. Imagine that. And then the upper floor, the Dachgeschoss, had been divided up into several accommodations for students or young adults, basically singles. And it was relatively expensive. Freiburg, like many other university cities, does have a housing shortage. It has a high demand for housing. But it was in the core of the city, and it was really just an incredible place to live and the pedestrian zone. So it's probably about a three quarters of a mile by three quarters of a mile. Not quite square, but it's kind of close. And almost everything that I needed could be found within the Altstadt, within the pedestrian zone of the Altstadt. My employer, our office was on the edge of the Altstadt. You know, everything I needed for work, a model shop, printers, you know, all of these things were within the kind of the Altstadt of, of the city as well. Freiburg is a university town. The university there is uh, kind of historic and well-renowned and has a large number of international students as well. Part of the university straddles the Altstadt. The library is, you know, kind of within the Altstadt. For a city of 220,000, it even has a concert hall, jazz hall, clubs, grocery stores, restaurants, cafes, shops. You know, one of the beauties of the Altstadt of the pedestrian zone is that because it is so dense and because there are so many people, it can really support a broad array of businesses. And so there were just so many things to do. It was almost unbelievable. And 
And so I think the mobility of Freiburg is probably one of the more interesting aspects of the city. You know, the downtown is the pedestrian zone. It's incredibly walkable very bikeable. There was a rough bike network that reached out to most parts of the city. Much of it was not protected, but there were car-free paths outside of the kind of core of the city that would connect to different neighborhoods. You know, the city has changed quite a bit since we were last there. There are now bike streets, Fahrradstrassen, that form a network that connects to more of the city. And these are streets where cars can only go a couple of miles per hour. Bicycles have priority. It's really about slowing cars down and making the speed comfortable for people who are biking, who are walking. It also has a fairly extensive tram network and the tram network is also constantly being expanded. We first lived there, the tram did not go all the way to the eco-district of Vauban. Today, the tram does go all the way to Vauban. The tram network is a series of lines that intersect at various points and generally intersect in the core of the city and then spread out in different directions to different neighborhoods that encircle the city. On top of this, it also has an extensive bus network. There's quite a bit of overlap between the bus network, the bike network, the tram network. And the city builds itself as a city of short distances, right? So it's relatively easy to get anywhere. And so if you think about living in, I'll take my city, Seattle, it's really difficult to find childcare. Childcare isn't really dispersed in the neighborhoods like it was when we lived in Germany. And so we have to find places that the kids can go that are affordable. For us, they also had to be accessible. We, at the time, did have a car. And so it was really difficult to find daycare close to where we lived. As Fremont has grown and densified over the last 15 years that we've lived here, more stores have popped up. We have more grocery stores that we can go to, more restaurants. It's not Freiburg. It's not the Altstadt, but it is great in many ways. And on top of this, there are connections beyond that. Regional transit that went to the Black Forest. We would take the train to Basel. It's about an hour-long train to Basel. Every other weekend at times, it seemed. Basel is another small city that I absolutely adore and has some really incredible architecture, especially social housing and cooperatives. So regionally, it's really well connected. And then with the ITSEA and night trains, it was incredibly easy to get to pretty much any part of Europe that was accessible by train. So the mobility key really set off a lot of interest in how I started thinking about cities, how to get around cities. It was the first place that I ever saw a cargo bike. And now we don't own a car and we own a cargo bike. And for the longest time, that's how we hauled our kids around. And now they're old enough to ride on their own. Cargo bike is still the uh, quote unquote SUV for taking kids to sporting events and things like that. Freiburg was the first place that I saw that took infrastructure away from cars and specifically gave it over to people who were biking, people who were walking, people who were taking transit. The car-free pedestrian zone was wonderful in that there were almost no cars in it. Children would run around in the streets and play in the Bechle all throughout the city, these little canals that water is coming through. And it creates this really wonderful atmosphere. It's kind of this white noise flowing throughout most of the city. And there was a bridge that had previously been for cars. And then, you know, they decided to make it a bicycle bridge. And so it was kind of like the main bikeway between one side of the rail yard, kind of splitting the eastern half of the city and the Altstadt, the downtown core. To me, that was just visionary to have a bridge that wasn't dedicated to cars anymore. And the development model of adding new housing in neighborhoods in Freiburg was also just really mind-blowing for me as an architecture student. 
an intern at that time. The idea was that new neighborhoods were built as new quartiers, new districts, and a lot of these were on brownfields. The most notable is the Quartier of Vauban, the eco-district of Vauban. This was a former French military base that was handed back over to the citizens of the city with assistance from the federal government, from the local government. The eco-district was effectively co-planned to be a car light slash car free community. And so the Quartier of Vauban is a 94-acre district, and the city purchased it from the federal state with the intent on turning it into kind of this flagship, right? Environmental showpiece to show how sustainable development could be done. Part of the way that they did it was having a really good mix of housing. So think about how we do development, especially transit-oriented development. We could have a whole conversation about that, and maybe we should in a future episode. So the idea was to have a good mix of housing. And the way that we do things in the U.S., a TOD project would be like 95% market rate housing. Most of it would be studios or one bedrooms. There would be very little open space. It would still be inundated by cars. It wouldn't necessarily be family friendly and there wouldn't be much affordable housing. Well, the model district of Vauban tried to flip that on its head and and they said, look, we need a good mix of housing. It can't all be market rate housing. We need to do something more innovative. A third of the residents are students, and I think of the balance, it's half market rate and half Baugruppen. Baugruppen are these self-developed urban housing. Effectively, groups come together and co-design and co-plan the form of urban dwelling that they would like to live in. And this can take a multitude of shapes, directions, multitude of unit types, but it's really about coming together and kind of co-developing this project. Often these are projects where these are not developer-driven projects, so it's really about values over profit. And one of the things that this allows people to do is say, hey, look, we're going to be more innovative. We're going to build with mass timber and get a low-carbon building. We're going to try to build with passive house and have the most energy-efficient and climate-adaptive housing that we can have. You know, one of the interesting things that came out of this is one of the very first mass timber passive house buildings is a Baugruppe from Vauban. The city offered parcels to Baugruppen, to groups who were interested in developing those properties. Uh, There was a high effort to prioritize sustainable mobility, so to move cars to the periphery, if at all. There aren't enough parking spaces in the handful of garages that exist for all of the residents who live there. You know, the idea was really to make this a place that was accessible by foot, by public transit, or by bike, and to deprioritize the cars. And so when you go there, it's lush, it's green, it's quiet, you hear birds, you hear the tram coming through, you hear kind of daily life without being audibly assaulted by the automobile. Because of the way development is done in Germany, there's a pretty good focus on external space as well, on open space. And so what this does is it creates this environment that has a very high quality of life. The buildings are incredibly sustainable, and it's a very desirable place to live. A lot of families would like to live here. Over time, the cost of living there has gone up because it is so unique and kind of concurrent with the process of planning and building out Vauban, there was this other quartier, Rieselfeld, uh, a little bit to the north of Vauban. And, you know, it's, it was a much more urban kind of district. And amount of social housing in this district is a lot higher. The character of the development is more perimeter block than Vauban was. It has a much more urban feel. It's denser. It has more space for jobs. It has more opportunities for, for opening up businesses. There's a school integrated in the community. There's a library integrated into the community. And it starts to get at how I think we should be developing new communities, especially 
in brownfields, especially in, in former industrial areas, especially around transit. But this process of how they develop neighborhoods, right? Like it's really foundational, I think, to how Freiburg has expanded as the population has grown. There's another district that's in planning right now, a little bit northwest of Rieselfeld. This is the quartier of Dietenbach. Again, it's going to have that same kind of concept. It's a new development. It's going to be connected by, by bike and transit and foot to the rest of the city. It's intended to have this very high quality urban character, ample open space, ample green space, gardens, courtyards. The idea is that the housing there will have a very broad mix of residents. There'll be social housing, there'll be Baugruppen, there'll be market rate housing, and there'll be this broad array of housing. And so what this does is it helps create a good economic and social mix for the neighborhood. It's not all wealthy tech workers or wealthy homeowners. There's a good mix within that neighborhood. And even in the form of housing, there's going to be quite a bit of diversity. There'll be flats, there'll be townhouses, there'll be maisonettes. So there's this diversity in, in housing type too. It's not all predominantly one form of unit like you see so much in the U.S. One of the other interesting things done in Freiburg, especially on these parcels where the city owns the land and is selling it for new buildings, they can use that planning regulation to condition on the sale of the property environmental conditions. So, you know, they could mandate passive house levels of design. They could do things that can influence the utilization of wood construction, mass timber construction, over construction types that have a higher embodied carbon. And so this way of development in Vauban, at the time, the chief city planner for the city was a planner named Wolf Desiking. At that time, he came up with the Freiburg Charter. And this is kind of a series of tenants that cities should follow that, A, will preserve the urban spatial identity of a region while allowing new development and making sure that that new development is sustainable. And so what the charter talks about is these decentralized developments. This is going back to the eco-quartiers, the neighborhood districts. It's a model of development that is a compact, decentralized city. So another way to think about this is take the 15-minute city and take that idea and just kind of compress it down a little bit. You still have kind of the same tenants, but it's not to the same degree. And quality of design plays a significant role for urban development in general. And this comes from this long history of Baukultur, right? The building culture, the utilization of public space, of, of open space as a long tradition. Current planning decision is really about reinforcing that. And there's this constant improvement of public space. And so this isn't something we do very well in the U.S. You know, we'll have parks and we're not very good at even maintaining our parks, but we don't have public open space, right? We don't really have pedestrian zones. We don't really have closed off streets that have been given over to the public. And at the same time, we're not working on paths to really improve them. And so the development really has to have this, there needs to be a long-term vision. And this is something that communities can organize around, participate in, right? It needs to be a, a collective vision. It's not just one person saying, look, this is the way things should be. It's really about fostering this path where everyone is kind of rowing in the same direction. The critical part about this is that means that you're not going to be moving forward and, and moving back, right? So uh, we're going to put in bike lanes. We're not going to rip them all out the next time someone isn't happy about something. We're going to have this constant improving. Another part of this is, again, it's the city of short distances. Whether you have a small city, a large city, a huge metropolis, right? It's really about ensuring that residents at the district scale, at the neighborhood scale, at the city scale can easily and rapidly get around by bike, via foot, on transit. There's this really strong emphasis on public space, on taking buildings and using those buildings to shape public space, intentionally coming in and 
having plazas or squares, courtyards where people can come together and do various activities. And, you know, when we do development in the U.S., we don't condition them to be low energy buildings or passive house buildings. We don't mandate that they have active solar protection so the residents aren't overheating in the summer. A lot of times we don't even mandate accessibility. There are certain levels of development where accessibility isn't mandated or even required. So in Seattle, we have this really bifurcated nature of development right now. There's really expensive townhomes and they're three to four story townhomes. Most are only two bedrooms, so they're not super family friendly. They're certainly not accessible or even adaptable. And the flip side of this is a huge percentage of all of our new units are studios and one bedroom apartments. And so, you know, there's this weird bifurcation where we don't have anything in the middle. It's not just missing middle that's missing. It's missing mid-rise and this whole kind of constellation of of housing options that would allow for more multi-generational living or allow for more family-friendly living. Other things critical to the Freiburg Charter at the city level, how do we deal with urban noise? Well, in the EU, cities are required to measure noise and map noise and slowly, slowly work on things to improve the noise. Well, one of the things that's so amazing about the eco-quartier, the eco-district, is you can shape your buildings to deflect noise so that within the core of that district, it's relatively quiet and peaceful and doesn't feel like living in this loud city, even though you're in this dense neighborhood. You know, one of the reasons that I think Freiburg has developed the way that it has, it really has to do with neighborhood cohesion. It has to do with politics. You know, Freiburg is the solar city. If you look at an insulation map of Germany and the U.S., Freiburg is the place in Germany that gets the most solar radiation on an annual basis. And when you look at the continental U.S., here in Seattle, in the Pacific Northwest, we're the, we're the opposite. We're the worst place. We have the worst solar radiation in the continental United States. And what's amazing to me is Freiburg in Germany is uh, considered the solar city. But when you look at their annual solar radiation, it's actually lower than we have here in Seattle. So if we take the concept of the solar city, the greenest city from Freiburg, it should be adaptable to any place in the United States. There are a couple of things that really drove Freiburg to become a green city, to become the solar city. And so part of the history around Freiburg being this green city, the solar city, in the early 70s, a nuclear plant was proposed for a village not far from Freiburg. A lot of residents were opposed to the construction of it. Residents and farmers came together and, and protested the construction of this plant. But what happened is when the plant didn't go through, there was still this huge need for energy that had to be supplied. And so what's interesting is that a lot of that focus flipped towards solar. And so and so my recollection of Freiburg when we were there in 2003-2004 was you know, there's a lot of focus on solar energy, but not at the building scale. It was much broader. And so in this ensuing vacuum, right, solar energy and solar hot water systems and just kind of rethinking energy, solar energy, it took on a huge role. We went back and visited Freiburg a couple of years ago, my wife and I, and the city changed dramatically from when we had lived there. It seemed like every other building was covered in photovoltaics, solar hot water systems. Already, they were kind of well ahead of a lot of cities in the adoption of solar. And then they, at this point, it felt like they were just blowing everybody out of the water. They were showing off. To this day, I still think that the uptake of solar in Freiburg 
far exceeds that of cities like Seattle, which considers itself to be a climate leader. And so in that in that vacuum, it really opened up an opportunity for the Green Party to take hold. When my wife and I lived in Freiburg, the mayor at that time was a member of the Green Party. Much of the city council were also members of the Green Party. And for me, coming from the U.S., where we really only have two main political parties, it was really amazing. And I had known about the SPD. And the, the concept of this Green Party was another thing that was incredibly foreign to me. But they were doing such amazing things. They were getting buildings that were built to Passive House 20 years before anyone in, in Seattle even knew what it was. And they were doing eco districts. They were pushing mass timber buildings just decades before anyone in the U.S. was was really doing things of this nature. You know, the Green Party doesn't have as much of a stronghold in the city today, but I think the principles, right, of the how the Green Party ran the city are definitely like woven into the fabric. It is, I think, one of the reasons that it has such a high quality of life. It is so desirable to live there because of it. Vauban was the place that had the first mass timber passive house building. It's hard for me to comprehend how amazing this is. You know, the worst part about it is I had no idea about this when I was working there. In fact, the office that I worked in, they weren't really huge fans of passive house. They were doing low energy buildings, utilizing winter gardens, thermal storage, very interesting and innovative buildings. They just weren't interested in Passive House. And at that time, Passive House was really about just taking a building and adding on more insulation. At the time, I would characterize most of the Passive House buildings in kind of those early years as being concrete or block buildings, and then just adding more styrofoam, XPS or EPS insulation outboard of that. And so if you think about Passive House in that regard, yeah, I think it absolutely isn't something that we should be doing. But Passive House today is such a more amazing community. There's such an amazing movement. There are a ton of options for insulation that are decarbonized, that are low carbon. There are even Passive House certified prefabricated straw wall panels that you can install on your house or building. It's straw. It sequesters carbon. They harvest it every year and it you know has a great u value it's just a really wonderful product right like those things really didn't exist 20 years 15 20 years ago so i can understand a little bit why there was some hesitancy towards passive house but there was this really amazing culture around innovation like i said there was a lot going on in vauban the firm that i worked for pfeiffer roser kuhn architect in were doing some really incredible projects incorporating dowel laminated timber in german it's called brettstapel so my first exposure to that was working on projects as, a, as an american intern in 2003 2004 who had no idea what this was. And I came back to the States to finish up college and ended up moving to Seattle afterwards. And I talked about this stuff for years. And it wasn't until 2018, right before we moved back to Germany, ironically, I worked on the first project in Washington State incorporating dowel laminated timber, right? It's like, oh, I've come full circle. At the same time, oh my God, it took 15 years to do that. This is absurd. This is ridiculous. So in a lot of ways, we have a lot of catching up to do, but I find it such a fascinating place and model. It certainly holds a special place in my story and in my life. There are so many other interesting facets to the city of Freiburg that could sit here and talk and talk for hours and, and just reminisce about the crazy things that were possible living there. But I'll leave, I'll leave with this. The city of Freiburg is a city with a high demand for housing. It's a city that is constantly working to be more sustainable, improve quality of life for the residents. The model developments that are going on in the city right now, Dietenbach, there's a really wonderful development underway by Dietrich Untertrifaller. Again, high quality urban spaces, a good mix of housing, passive house buildings, potentially mass timber as well. That model of creating places where people want to live and where they can afford to live, 
hopefully, and have a a good quality of life and looking forward, climate adaptive housing, housing that can deal with for us in the Northwest, wildfire smoke, air pollution, extensive heat events and things of that nature. I think it's critical that we we start doing this and we start doing it right. And I'm not saying that we have to copy the architecture or the procurement methods or the planning regulations, although I think we should. I think we would be a much better society if we did. But I think that there's something in that kernel of Freiburg that it informs almost everything I do as an architect. Passive house. Mass Timber, Baugruppen, Eco Districts, high quality urban space, pedestrian zones, phenomenal transit, right? If we could tie all of these things together, I think that we could develop the most amazing places for people to live. And that's all I have for this week. So thanks for letting me reminisce about one of my favorite places on earth. It's been way too long since I've been back. And uh, I guess the next time we go, I have to take my kids because we promised that when we lived in Bavaria. So that is all I have. Ciao. Thanks to our listeners for joining us on the Livable Low Carbon City podcast. We'll be back with another episode soon to broaden the discourse and highlight how we can co-create a low carbon urban future together. If you'd like to know more about what Larch Lab is doing, please subscribe to our monthly newsletter. I'll add the link to the episode notes. Mm-hmm.